Welcome to another episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on September the 7th, 2021. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, not afraid to put experimental chemicals in his body. Caffeine rage? Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Well, you'll be alive to feel it in the end. Well, remember, uh, on- just say nay to a horse, tra- a horse dewormer. Nay! On today's show, we will, of course, be discussing the games that we played, and then we've got a couple of topics provided to us by our lovely Discord user, Jim3535, my my favorite user to see, because he posts so many things for us. Um, we're going to have Tripwire, CEO puts foot in mouth, gets fired, which is a combination of a couple of articles um, that was spurred on by Jim, and then how gaming will change humanity as we know it a think piece slash fluff piece that we're going to talk about. And then finally, we will have a Steam Discovery queue. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Good evening, Rage. Hello. How are you? Uh, doing somewhat all right. I mean, you know, I'm reading the news and seeing things go uh, to shit, but eh. Yes, but... But we got the season... One series, one whatever, mm-hmm. uh, for Snowrunner today, and that's nice, and that's what I'm going to choose to focus on in my brain space. Haven't spent enough time with it to talk about it as like a games played this week. Maybe by next week, but yeah, well, I think it's going to take a few weeks to because I want to hit all the maps before really talking about season one. That's true. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of fucking stuff. I played it for about three, two and a half, three hours at work today. I tore it on some of the trucks, but that's about it. Yeah, just barely scratched. I mean, even with that, I just barely scratched the surface. Because I was messing, mostly messing with stuff, not really doing anything substantial. It is interesting that they included a few more types of transmissions as well to find. Yeah, I noticed that. There's the one that lets you set up, which I, I don't have yet, but your, your own... Like, gears? Gear ratios? It, it sounds like you can customize it. So, that will be neat. Maybe it's a manual, an actual manual transmission. That would be good. Mm-hmm. Although, I have gotten to the point where I mostly just throw fuel mileage to the wind and go for the, um, you know, off-road slash snow runner, because it depends on which vehicle class. But whatever transmission gives you all of the low gears. Mm-hmm. That that seems to be more useful. And I'll just take the hit on the uh, the fuel mileage. I don't I ain't got to pay for gas. <laughs> just got to get the, tra- the truck out there with the fuel tanker on it. But yeah. That's that's a a game we we played. Uh, so, uh, are you trying to segue for once? It would make an excellent segue although we've ruined it already. Hey Rage what uh, what games did we play this week? Do you, who, well, do you, who do you want to go first, me or you? Uh, I'll, I'll go first. I'll let you kind of just rest up because, right? Okay, sure. Uh, besides, you may nuke your brain if you try to get out of it too quickly. <laughs> right. Uh, so I played and actually beat Psychonauts 2 over the course of the last couple weeks. Pretty much started playing it the day it came out and been playing it on and off. 
Uh, that along with XCOM to actual completion or pseudo completion, which I'll get into that. So, uh, Psychonauts 2 kind of has kind of turned into the internet's little darling the last week or so, huh? Yep. And uh, I both agree and disagree with that. Is it a very good game? Yes. But I think it's also kind of like perfectly positioned where we haven't seen a lot of double uh, A, low triple A uh, area uh, third person platformers uh, for quite a while, let alone one that's you know, at least somewhat polished. And Psychonauts has kind of turned into a cult hit. So pretty much anything that does well on building upon that uh, on that first game is going to do at least somewhat well. And Psychonauts 2 does do a lot of things really right. It has some very witty dialogue. It has a uh, pretty substantial expansion upon a lot of the gameplay mechanics that the original has, which for those who've never played the original Psychonauts, it takes place at a summer camp for psychic kids. That's a recruiting center for essentially secret agents that go into a person's mind and uh, extract information. Uh, they'll uh, fix different mental maladies. Um, or just see what's going on with them. And the mental world is built around their persona. So, uh, uh, the most infamous level of the original Psychonauts is uh, the Milkman Conspiracy level, which it takes place in this uh, Milkman's uh, distorted world where he sees conspiracies everywhere. There's uh, you know, very obvious, you know, government agents, uh, just taking, uh, all the, uh, general jobs in the neighborhood. And it's in this distorted, twisted upon neighborhood that, you know, construction workers are standing around in black suits and they're a construction worker because they're holding a, uh, stop sign, right? <laughs> to control yeah. traffic. You know, very shallowly, uh, uh, disguise that the fact that uh, oh no I'm t totally not a secret agent and Psychonauts 2 it expands upon that for the most part where uh, it deals with a lot of uh, mental disorders and uh, psychoses where you actually a lot of the worlds that you dive into or minds or whatever you want however you want to yep, term yep, use what term you want to use uh, a good number of them are dealing with uh, post-traumatic stress in one way or another. They're dealing with uh, multiple personalities or fragmented personalities. They're uh, dealing with uh, alcoholism uh, and substance abuse, uh, guilt, uh, dealing with anxiety uh, and feeling that everybody is being overly judgmental of them. Um, there's one kind of spoiler one that I don't want to get into whose it is that it's kind of a reawakening of a mind that's been long dormant. Uh, there's delusions of grandeur and that one's actually interesting because it's kind of set in a, uh, uh, in a, think of it as it's a small world only if it was designed by Kim Jong-un. 
All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Where everything is about how glorious the leader of this country is and the country itself. Never mind the fact that the country's kind of a shithole and, oh, yeah, and the leader may have killed a good portion of his population. Uh, deals with uh, the original psychonauts maybe going a little bit too far and uh, opening up uh, parts of their personality and, you know, awakening things in them that is more baser instinct that maybe would have been best left in the subconscious that they didn't drag out. I mean, it it has a lot of interesting world design around these ideas. It has interesting just uh, enemy design around these creatures. Around these uh, ideas, I should say. Uh, they have some of the ones that return from the previous game. Like sensors that just kind of uh, goes through your mind and uh, removes thoughts that don't belong, like the player character, for example. But then you get uh, more uh, proactive ones, uh, like judges that go through and, uh, well, judge things. Uh, panic attacks that are that you have to deal with a very particular way, otherwise they're incredibly dangerous. Uh, there's enablers that protect, uh, other, uh, enemies that you have to <laughs> tackle. Uh, otherwise they're immune to the player character. It takes all these ideas and manifests them into, you know, kind of a physical form. And it, it does quite the good job on just, uh, for a layman like me that, understands a little bit of this just by osmosis of having to put up with Jared, uh, you know, sexually harassing me for, you know, the last few years. <laughs> uh, sorry, I couldn't help myself. No, that was, that was good. That was good. Uh, it, it's kind of a way to understand some of this. Uh, I, I would be really interested to see, uh, what your take is on this. It's on, uh, Game Pass. Yeah. Uh, some I have things... installed it. Yeah. Uh, I, because of the conversations we've had, I've bumped it up my list to play. Yeah. It's I just a, haven't. It's a pretty short game. You could get through the main story in, uh, well, if you really rush it and not do some of the sad stuff, 10 to 12 hours doing sad stuff, uh, it starts to creep up to probably about the 15 hour mark. Not counting doing the collectathons, which is kind of a holdover to the design of the first game. The first game, one of the things that was really uh, called out for or called out on it was that the sad uh, mission was essentially a scavenger hunt, and that was it. This they okay, they kind of uh, they have a scavenger hunt, but they pick on the idea of it being a scavenger hunt, and it's a mission critical uh, psychonauts acts. Uh, assets uh, acquisition quest. <laughs> uh, but that's not the only uh, side quest that they have. There's a few others. Some of them relating to uh, Raz's, uh, the main character's family, uh, showing up and some of the repercussions of that going on. Uh, you're, after the first mission, or the first level, I should say, uh, you're kind of 
pseudo demoted uh, because the first game kind of uh, they feel to uh, accommodate you as a psychonaut and you go off on your adventure, uh, which takes place between the first game and the second game as a VR only title, which they have a, a, a kind of a catch up uh, video uh, that goes over the high points of the story in the uh, of the first game and the and the middle game, uh, the Rhombus of Ruin, which excellent name by the way. Yeah. Uh, to kind of uh, get uh, to make this more accessible, which I do appreciate because it's been a while since I played the first one. Uh, uh, but you're devoted to the intern uh, uh, program. It has, I want to say, probably about a dozen t- uh, total characters, which, to be honest, I don't remember most of their names. Some are related to other characters that you'd be in the first one, like. I do remember Sam that she's the sister of uh, 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 of Dugan from the first game. Mind you, the the difference between the time frame from the first game and the second is supposed to be three days. <laughs> so you know it, th- these characters, uh, yeah, haven't really aged at all, and they pulled it off pretty well of making it feel like simultaneously it's been a long time, but. The, but at the same time, you know, if there's been no time that passed, and it's probably partly due to having all the or all the major voice actors return, and yeah, you know, uh, being very true to the character design of the first game while still updating it, giving them uh, better uh, facial animations and cutscenes, that sort of thing. But anyway, uh, you meet Sam, and that's kind of the one intern that I really remember. And she's uh, part of this big psychic family that has an affinity for animals, uh, be able to talk to them and understand them. Only they're terrible with animals. Animals are absolutely terrified of them because they kind of accidentally kill them all the time. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Uh, And she's sent off on this mission to make pancakes and she's trying to figure out how to make pancakes in this a dilapidated diner uh, near uh, HQ that has no uh, supplies for it and just, you know, she's making uh, uh, pancakes out of dirt and random uh, stuff that the animals get. Um, uh, I, I will say that the uh, the interns, they play a major role in like the first quarter of the game. And then they kind of just disappear for a while. And that's one of my big complaints about the game is that it almost feels like there's too many characters at at one point where there's a big emphasis on uh, this uh, team uh, or in this team building mechanic in uh, the first couple missions. And then they just kind of drop it until the very end when it comes all back together. And it might just be the fact that the game has this weird time frame where uh, the even though it's yeah uh, a good you know ten fifteen hour game, it's still kind of one day in in the game's time frame or just a couple of days, and it could just be you know they're off doing their own thing and then there's no time in the uh, in the storytelling to be able to really kind of advance things like they did in the first game where you'd go back to the other campers and. 
things have shifted around. People have new things to talk about. Uh, Dugan's kind of blown up another squirrel, that sort of thing. So that's one complaint I have. And the other one is that it's Psychonauts, but it's also, that's a praise and also a kind of a curse. They've refined the uh, platforming quite a bit and made it a lot smoother, which was kind of an issue in the first game where uh, the... uh, uh, there were some jumps, particularly in the last third quarter of the game, that got very finicky. And in this one, they, well, one, they have accessibility uh, options where you could remove fall damage, which I actually took because some of the level design can get a little wacky and it could be a little bit hard to figure out where to go. And if you try to jump on something the developers don't want you to, uh, well, the invisible walls are very rampant. Uh, there's a lot of times that it looks like you could land on something, but it just won't land because it's too much of a slope or they were intending you to go there. And, uh, so I disabled that. They do have it where you just turn off damage altogether and make it essentially a, you know, get through the platforming sections as best you can and just, you know, hammer away on the bosses, which has some very, varied designs where uh one boss uh, will be just this giant typhoon of emotions another one will be you know uh, essentially a well think of pretty much the worst uh, most hateful uh cooking show you could think of and it's the judge panel <laughs> and i'm not joking one of the levels is actually a cooking show where you're trying to build the person's self-confidence because he feels like the world is judging him and yeah he's never good enough so is that is the is the cooking show level your favorite uh, i gotta say it is up there there's uh some other ones that has a lot of uh, verticality and some very interesting themes to them but the cookie show one it's uh, one of the shorter levels But it's also, because of that, it's easier to go around and grab everything that you need. Uh, And it's compact. There's not a, yeah. It it doesn't feel like it's overly drawn out like some of the other levels can be. And there's no changing of of, uh, platforming and uh, controls. Some of the levels, you'll like get on top of a bowling ball and ride it around. There'll be a section where... It goes from a 3D platformer to a 2D platformer, and you're going through a themed area, which uh, is really fun, but at the same time, can be frustrating whenever the game doesn't tell you exactly what it's expecting you up, expecting of you, you know? Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong, it is a very good game, but I will say that if you have no interest in uh, you know, uh, this type of game, you know, obviously it's not for you. And it, I do think that it does lean a bit more on someone that's played the first game than uh, anything else. Although, you know, if you have Game Pass, really no reason not to play it. It does have a lot of humor, has a lot of heart to it. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything else. Uh, they've, it's just feels like Psychonauts, but they've improved quite a bit, but it's not perfect. It's not, you know, the best game in the decade or, or the last decade that I've seen some people uh, claiming. There's 
things to fix about it. The fact that there's no straight up save system, it's all auto saves is infuriating to me. So if you go through a difficult platforming section, which even though they have smoothed out a lot of the platforming, there are still sections that can be very difficult, even with fall damage taken off and you're just hammering away at it. There's uh, some time sections that could, uh, that the timings are a bit uh, tied on. Uh, there's uh, some tricky jumps that you may have to do. And if you get through that and, you know, you want to quit, well, you, you haven't hit an auto uh, save, so you either have to go back. Thankfully, they do warn you that uh, how long it's been since your last auto save. But, yeah, you don't want to lose, you know, five, ten minutes of gameplay because you uh, had trouble with a, a jumping section or you just couldn't figure out exactly where you wanted to where uh, I shouldn't say where you wanted to go, where the game wanted you to go, because uh, there are sometimes that the level design gets a bit busy. Uh, and the figments, the figments of imagination that uh, kind of guide you through these mental worlds, much like the first game, can really blend into the background, especially on some of the more colorful levels. And these figments, as well as everything else, ch- kind of changes level to level as well, so that you know, you're not sure exactly what you're looking for until you've actually found it. For example, healing containers or uh, healing items. Uh, it's always a green glowing item, but it changes on each and every mental world that you go to. So until you figure out exactly what this world's heal items are, you're having to keep a very close eye out for any green, green glowing things. And yeah, figments could be uh, green glowing. It could be just a very colorful world or one that kind of tends towards that uh, color spectrum, which can be irritating. So, yeah, I mean, not a perfect game, but a good one. Yeah, I have to say that if it wasn't for the theme or the, you know, sort of questions it asks and stuff it explores, Mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't play it because I don't like this type of game generally speaking, but if it's got some, you know, you talk about, um, like, you know, no fall damage. So if it's got like some, you know, yeah, accessibility options, th- there's a and... lot of accessibility o- uh, options. You could turn off damage altogether. You could boost your damage, uh, and reduce uh, damage taken. Uh, you could turn, uh, like I well, like brought up before to earn off fall damage. I think there's a couple other options, uh, to kind of, uh, ease, uh, uh, platforming uh, difficulties. I will say that there's still challenge to the platforming, even with the options turned on, just because of uh, just pure level design. Yeah. And there's no really optional worlds. You have to play through them all. But it's it really depends on uh, your power set. Oh, that's the other thing. That's kind of the other black mark on the game is combat. Okay. Okay. And and this was kind of uh, a carryover from the first game as well, is that the combat was a bit clunky, and it's the same here where it's a, a, your typical 3D platformer combat uh, which, with the ranged and powers, but the thing is that each of the different enemy types has a particular weakness. Like, uh... Not... Let's see if I can find a 
enemy list real quick so I could give you exact uh, exact examples. Did you? Uh, I'm, did I'm, lose I'm, you? I'm here. I'm just trying okay. to stay quiet. I was, yeah, I was, well, I'm talking now, so it ruins it. I was leaving the quiet for easy editing purposes, but then after, mm-hmm. I don't know, 20 seconds or whatever, I'm like, hang on a second. Did one of us drop out? Okay. Uh, uh, here's a good example is that, um, well, I've mentioned judges before. Uh, judges are these massive enemies that have a John Hamber. And they're weak to uh, telekinesis to grab the hammer and throw it at them. Uh, that causes them to change their attacks from these big, uh, strong uh, attack, uh, yep, heavy hitting attacks to a lot lighter, dodgeable attacks. Uh, panic attacks, uh, you have to go in and slow them down with a different power and then uh, attack them from range. And while you can have four powers uh, equipped at a time, you're constantly having to go back and forth uh, between powers. Um, there's regrets that could bog you down uh, and causes a slowing effect. See what they did there? And <laughs> uh, if you uh, light them on fire, they uh, essentially just self-destruct. But the thing is that, once again, that's another power that I have to switch to. And, you know, the power of Kinesis is a very short-range attack, so... Um, uh, bad moods. You have to uh, use clairvoyance to see uh, through the uh, through their eyes to find the root cause of the bad mood to be able to address it. And by address, I mean uh, you know kill it. And otherwise, you can't deal with it. So once again, changing more uh, powers around, and there, it's a constant, uh, you know, stopping to uh, swap out powers to swap and. Uh, change up uh, what you need to be able to uh, uh, address the current situation. And it happens pretty often whenever, you know, a bunch of enemies spawn, well, you look and see, no oh, shit, well, there's a judge and, oh, there's an enabler and I'm going to have to slow that uh, that one down to be able to attack it. And, and it uh, breaks what flow of combat there is, even though I will say that combat is usually kind of a clusterfuck anyway. It just makes it more cumbersome. It's not terrible, but at the same time, right? Yeah, it, it's a it's a, <clears throat> a it's an additional hindrance. Although it is nice that they'll go in and whatever a new enemy pops up, they very quickly say, "Okay, this is what this does." And if you struggle with it for too long, which health is pretty easy to uh, grab, especially with some power-ups that you could get uh, as you go through the game you get uh essentially uh titanium which is the game's currency that you could equip pins for and uh, this also is a, a a neat system but it's feels like it's not quite right uh, uh that alters powers like it could ch- make it so that your saw blast uh your big ranged attack goes from kill to stun for a particular achievement or challenge or if you want to do something different with it. Or it could ricochet off uh, enemies or uh, psychokinesis uh, increases the burn damage or uh, yeah, uh, telekinesis instead. If there's nothing that you could grab in range, it'll just uh, grab uh, a chunk of the ground to throw, which changes on level to level. 
But once again, you can only have three of these equipped. And if you have bad ones equipped for your situation and it's a difficult fight where now you have to go into the into a different menu to change pins around because they're uh, an overarching power up or a power modifier. It does feel like the combat needed some more time to cook. It's not a complete hindrance it because so much of the rest of the game is very good, but it's one of those things that makes me wonder, okay, how the fuck are people calling this a perfect game when I'm seeing this, 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 and this, right? Yeah. Or maybe I'm just a cynical bastard. I don't know. <clears throat> that that honestly seems likely. Although I doubt it's also a perfect game. That, there's not really, quote unquote, mm-hmm. a perfect game. Although some of the reviews <clears throat> I've uh, watched uh, uh, <clears throat> after playing it or you know, just before playing it. Because I tried to avoid spoilers once I decided to dive into it. Uh, talked about how it's their favorite game in the, like the last five years. I think uh, ACG said that one, and I'm not sure if I would say five years. I would say I will say that it's up there for me on uh, my game of the year so far. But that's also yeah, it's been an oddball year for me gaming anyway, right? Yeah, it has indeed. You have had some adventures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, is I do, it? Yeah, I do appreciate oh. uh, them adding quite a bit more to do, though. So, yeah, uh, I think I'm done with that one. I ended up talking about that one more than I expected. That's okay. Um, So then it's my turn. I've got two. One of them is going to be very short, Um, I think. Sometimes I say that, and it's not, but we'll see. Um, I'm, I'm going to start, though. With a Sword Art Online Lost Song. So this is the second game. Well, technically, if you played them all at release, this is, I think, the fourth game. But they combined all the the releases from uh, for PSP into the first like PS4 thing, and then PC. That so the last one that I played is considered the first game because all of the parts together make it a like a full complete. SAO experience. And the first game focuses on an alternate sort of version of events for the first series of the show, which is, you know, everybody gets trapped in the game, they fight their way to the top of the uh, the castle to escape. Um, and in the anime, in the in the show, it, it plays out a little bit differently, but in the game, that's what you do. You fight, you fight your way up um, where the timeline's uh, diverge is where the the first series ends, and there's like a glitch, and it doesn't actually end after they beat like the main big bad, and so they fight their way up to the top of the tower, and alternate stuff ensues. So we're all caught up, all right? This one takes, I would say, inspiration from the second series, but at this point, they've gone all in on their own universe. And so while the characters are the same in terms of like name and appearance, we're on a completely new storyline here. Not even one that's just, you know, similar, but playing up on the, you know, alternate timeline thing or whatever. No, they're, they're fully committed to their own universe. So they do go to the same game, which is I called Alfheim. I that might not be a bad idea. What? 
the show? Yeah, the that the second uh, series isn't as good. The second series is odd. It explores some new concepts, but boy, does it get rapey. <laughs> There's certainly some fan service in the first series, and, you know, fair enough. But, I mean, I've been watching SAO with my kid, and so for that series, we kept having to stop and talk about stuff. And, like, I'm, I'm not someone who shies away from hiding things from my kid. You know, if, if he tells me, like, he's uncomfortable or it's scary or whatever, we'll skip it. But we watched it and we had several conversations about respecting, you know, uh, about consent and about respecting people's bodily autonomy and boundaries and how not to, to do those things. And we had a good experience with it overall, I think. Um, but yeah, the second series definitely gets a little rapey, uh, and goes off the rails in a couple points. But I, SAO, generally speaking, just goes off the rails. At, at its heart, it's like this weird video game power fantasy thing that, cut, like, its only rule is that it will break its own rules to do something cool. But anyways, I'm, I'm not here to talk, to talk about the anime. We can, if, if you want to, we can talk about that later. Because I have many thoughts on the SAO anime. Most of them pretty good. But yeah, it's I've not like... I've never really watched more than a few episodes. Yeah. Um, but anyways, so the, the, the game, Lost Song takes place in the the same game from the second series but it's doing its own storyline um and it, it is vastly different to the first game in many ways which i think is good the first game is trying to be an mmo but you know played in single player and so it's got the same sort of like fetch quests that you're used to and lots of level grinding and it's got um uh a pseudo like essentially like a hot bar combat system where you auto attack normal attacks, but then you have special attacks that you, you use on your hot bar. Um, and it, it worked really well and I really enjoyed it. This one, um, goes with what the show says that Alfheim was a much more like skill and action based game. And so it uses a, what I think of as like a light version of like the Batman Arkham Knight combat system where that it will like soft lock you onto an enemy and you'll sort of automatically track them around. You can pick your own targets to lock onto, but it's got uh, much more of sort of like an, you know, an action beat em up sort of vibe to it with its combat. You've got light attacks, you've got heavy attacks, you can chain together various combos. It is a fantasy game, so you have magic and other special abilities that you can use um, and, and grow those skills up, but... It is an, an action system as opposed to a hot bar combat system. Um, and then it combines that with the ability to fly. Uh, that, that was one of the things in Alfheim. Like all of the characters are fairies and they have wings and they can fly. And you can also fly. Um, and they tied that system in really well to the combat. There's two different flight modes. There's sort of a hover mode where that you can move around freely, horizontally, and vertically but your speed is about the same as if you were running on the ground. You're just vertical. And then there is a uh, fast flight mode um, where that you can do some attacks during that mode, but it's primarily for um, getting around the map quickly or rushing into or out of combat. Um, but it is really neat the way that you can string, like, um, you, you can do, like, a, a speed boost as an ability. So, like, you're flying in, you do a speed boost into, like, a diving attack, 
and then switch to the hover mode and do some combos that forces the enemy on the ground and then drop on top of them and like finish them with like a magic spell or something like it 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 flows back and forth between the two very well between ground and the two different flight modes um very well very quickly there's no fall damage so if you get knocked out of the sky or if you accidentally use up all of your stamina and wind up falling accidentally um you know you won't get hurt or die at least from the fall if you land into enemies or some kind of terrain the damages you that's another thing but <clears throat> that whole system flows really well um you can play in, in the first one you could only play as kirito in this one you can play as all of the characters um you have a party of three uh in the first one you could only take a partner with you but in this one you can take two characters with you so you can build a little bit better team um with ranged being a focus so you could take out some people who are um you know uh mages focused on like back end spells or you could take someone out who uses like a bow um you could also you know pick characters that have those focuses and, and broadly speaking the different characters fit the different sort of class archetypes you think for rpgs like there's a, a rogue type character that's you know sneaky and and quick and doesn't have a lot of health but can do lots of damage as um a first strike or if they uh you know get flanking attack bonuses and there's your frontline people with like sword and board or like big two-handed weapons and then there's like melee damage focused characters which kirito is the only one that can dual wield swords which you know that's the show's like consent or conceit to him to make him special then there's magic types there's support magic there's combat magic etc etc um it introduces some some more new characters and then brings back the new characters that it introduced in the first game expands on their stories some more so and it just builds a little bit more on the world um i think it's pulling some stuff from the manga i did a little bit of research into it i've never read the manga i've only seen the anime but obviously there's a lot more of the manga than there is the anime. And so I think they're pulling some stuff from the manga that they used as like filler and folding that into the story and using that to sort of springboard into their own story. But it works really well. I mean, like I said about the first one, the, the game is good. It achieves what it is trying to do at what feels like a solid, like double A quality. Um, but I don't know how much there's here for anybody who is not a fan of the show. The game is good, but it definitely leans heavily on the fact that you're like, oh yeah, you know those characters that you know and love? Well, here they are, and now you get to play them. Like, all of the mechanics and the systems are solid, but they don't have the sort of depth or complexity that you <laughs> might expect from an action brawler that, you know, that's what its focus is, as opposed to being set in a world. It feels... Like, like when Dynasty Warriors makes good games in other universes, <laughs> and it's like, it's like, well, I'm playing, I'm very clearly, I'm just playing Dynasty Warriors, but it's in okay, Legend uh, of Zelda. Sterling. I know, right? But I, I do agree with that take, you know? But it's like, I mean, this is, this is Dynasty Warriors, but it's in a universe that is cool, that I like, you know, like Zelda or, you know, a bunch like Gundam or, or whatever. Um, this is like that. It's, you know, just um, a fairly standard action RPG combat system with the neat mechanic of how 
the the flight works. I think that's a, a solid win. Like they nailed that. Um, and you know, all of that is fine. But what makes it super cool is that it's it is Sword Art Online. So I like the game. If you get it really cheap, if you're not into Sword Art Online and you can get it really cheap, um, from everything I've read, it's about thirty hours long. So decent length, but as far as RPGs go you know kind of on the shorter end so you know definitely worth five bucks and then if you're interested i mean it nails it it did what the first game did the first game needed to nail essentially the hot bar you know mmo combat vibe and it nailed it perfect and this one needed to nail the flight mechanics and sort of how the action combat system plays in with the flight mechanics and they nailed it so Two thumbs up for that. If you like Sword Art Online, definitely worth it. If you don't like Sword Art Online, but you find it really cheap, it's I think it's worth it too at like, you know, five bucks, give or take. Um, I mean, it's it's 20 bucks like at its normal price. This game is three years old now. Um, so once I beat it, I'll be moving on to the third one. There are five games on Steam in the Sword Art Online universe. So, I I just started the fourth series with my kid over the weekend. Has so. gotten less rapey. Oh yeah, I mean that goes away in the third series. Uh, although the third the the third series deals a lot with trauma and is certainly the most um, what's the word I'm looking for here? I hesitate to use the word mature because I think that gives the wrong implication. But it it does. It, it is the most violent. It is the most sort of visceral with how it portrays like blood and violence. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's dealing with trauma and post-traumatic stress from, you know, people who have experienced very traumatic situations. Uh, Kirito being, you know, having essentially been trapped in a, a deadly world where thousands of people died for a couple of years. And then the other character, she, um, was uh, part of a shooting at like a, at a bank and she wound up like killing a guy. Whoops. Like it it was like a self-defense thing, but you know, that, that haunts her. So it, it does not pull its punches with that. So not, not rapey, uh, but definitely also, you know, deals with some pretty heavy stuff and doesn't shy away from it. So that is, uh, but yeah, that's sort of online lost song um the other game i played um to put a little context on this there's a youtuber i watch called um patrician or patricia let me look him up so i get this right probably should have done that before i'll just uh be quiet here so you could easily edit this out and now i definitely have a nice gap right Right. Well, while you were saying that, I looked him up. It's it's Patrician TV. Um, he's a YouTuber that I found around Christmas, uh, like this past Christmas. Found him around then. Who did an eight-hour Morrowind video? Um, going oh, yeah, through. I saw, yeah, I saw this pop up on Reddit, and people were not uh, happy with how long that video was. <laughs> I I understand people who don't like long form content on YouTube. Uh, there's long form and there's uh, Lord of the Rings extended cut. Right. But 
I, I am someone who loves that stuff. And he organizes the video very well into sections using both YouTube's built-in thing where you can, like, put chapters on the timeline and then also with, like, links to different sections. It's long, but it's set up so that you don't have to try to consume it in one setting. Um, but anyways, it's an eight-hour deep dive that goes into Morrowind. And he goes through the story and all the different factions and uses those as ways to talk about mechanics in the game. Um, so while he is, you know, relaying the entire story of the game to you, he's talking about gameplay mechanics and um, systems and writing and storytelling and, and all of that sort of weaving it into the narrative, you know, his narrative alongside the narrative that was being told. Um, and he released his Oblivion video, which was 12 hours long. Um, officially, he released it on Wednesday of last week. But I started watching it early. Um, I support him on Patreon, and he released it like a week early. And so over the course of the week, I watched a 12-hour video about Oblivion. And of course, that made me want to play Oblivion again. And I've talked about Oblivion on the on on the show before. We've talked about it. We've litigated against Skyrim and Morrowind. And I don't necessarily want to have that discussion. You and I had it Sunday night when I was telling you about because I had finished this video and we were talking about Sunday when we were playing um, SnowRunner. I don't necessarily want to have that entire discussion on the show again. What I do want to say is that it's interesting to go back and play it again. Because I, I played it a couple of years ago, but I didn't, like, beat it. I didn't play it seriously. I messed around with some mod stuff, and then I quit playing it again. But I am playing it now. I'm about eight hours into another playthrough of it. Um, it's very interesting with sort of this retrospective fresh on my mind, interrogating my own sort of nostalgia for the game and experiencing it in a new way, even though it is by no means a new game to me. It's, it's interesting what nostalgia can do to your perception of things. And when you're able to, at least some extent, confront that and deal with it up front. My, my overall opinion on Oblivion has not changed. It is still one of my favorite games of all time. Um, I have devoted, you know, a couple thousand hours over the course of my life to that game. Um, and experiencing it and enjoying it and messing with it and modding it and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I don't regret any of that time. But it's interesting being, you know, in my 30s now, going back to this game that I first played as a... When did it come out? 2006? As a teenager. Um, and just, like, the differences in my life now and how I approach storytelling and how I approach just gameplay... It's been an interesting experiment on on and with myself. And I don't know if I'll finish the playthrough. I'm not playing super heavily modded. I'm using, of course, all of the unofficial patches and um, a couple of things to add some extra variety, just like some basic, like, flare mods. Um, and then one, like, big mod. It's, I forget what it's called. It's like Build Back Kavach or something like that. Um, it's a series of quests that rebuilds the city after you hit a certain point in the main quest line. And that's it. And it, it's just, it's been interesting. Um, I might talk more about it in a couple of weeks, but I wanted to use this also as a thing to springboard and talk about 
uh, Nexus's mod management thing. Uh-oh. Um, I haven't used this in a while. Um, I think I used it a couple years ago when it first released. Uh, it's called Vortex. Before Vortex, they had the Nexus mod manager, which was hot garbage. Yeah, I remember Vort- it, uh, for everything it installed, it kept a backup copy on the C drive. Yep. Which, oh, and if you deleted that, it removed it. Yep. Uh, from the manager, which did not help. Nope. Yeah, the Nexus mod manager was hot garbage. Glad to see that thing go. Vortex, when I first used it, was not much better. It was basically Nexus mod manager, but with a prettier, um, more usable user interface. Low bar. But it was, yeah. But it, it was worse in some ways, too, because it didn't have tools or ways for you to figure out what, like, your mod load order needed to be. And it was, like, you got no feedback. It was all just trial and error. Um, and so it, it wasn't good. But using it now, it's had a couple years of development time, and it seems like a pretty decent mod management tool. Um, I've only used it for Oblivion. I haven't used it for any other games, so this is a pretty big your mileage may vary statement if you try using this for other games. But with Oblivion, um, it um, I guess it works kind of like how torrent files do with like magnet links or whatever. Um, you can just click on any mod that has the vortex. Um, little icon on the Nexus page for it, and it will automatically download into Vortex. Um, it will, you know, unpack itself. It will wait for you to tell it to install it and activate it, and it'll pop up, and it'll be like, this mod has all these plugins, for example. Which ones do you want to turn on or off? And it'll tell you if you have conflicts. It'll automatically try to fix mod load order, and if it can't do it on its own, it'll make suggestions for things for you to try. It's got a good interface, a good way to search through. I, I haven't had any major issues with it. I've had a couple of conflicts that it was able to automatically resolve on its own. Um, it looks nice. It's it's a really, seems to be, really solid mod management tool. It doesn't have the same C drive copying issue. I checked. Um, no problem there. Or if it if it is, it's like buried somewhere and I couldn't find it. So that I, I don't know. Maybe I should go double check before I just say it definitely doesn't have it because that was a huge issue with Nexus Bot Manager. But um, Vortex is good, and it's interesting to play Oblivion again. I I'm, I'm kind of in my head. I I played Freelancer again a couple of years ago, all the way through, as sort of like a last hurrah with that game, and then I put it to bed. You know, I don't think I'm ever going to play Freelancer in my life ever again. And that's another game that's up there in, like, my favorite games of all time list. And when I played it again... Yeah, but see, we own this space. (laughs) Oh, that caught me off guard. (laughs) Oh, that was beautiful. I love you. This is why I love you. Oh. But anyways, you know, I I had similar feelings of, like, I've got a lot of nostalgia for this game, and I still think it's good, but so much of my experience is clouded by time and nostalgia and the types of mods that I used on it at the time. And And also, it's hard to go back uh, once you get past a certain point. Yeah, it's really hard to go back. And I'm, I'm having that experience with Oblivion, actually, you know? I'm enjoying it. It's not like I'm hating my time. If I was hating my time, I wouldn't be playing it. But yeah, it's not like it's Skyrim. 
hi <laughs> He um he announced uh Patrician TV that he was going to be doing a St- Skyrim video. He was going to be taking a little bit of a break from this type of content and then he was going to start in November or December with his um playthrough and research process to make the video. So maybe by this time next year there will be a I don't know 27 hour Skyrim video but I, I am excited for that go yeah go watch his video anybody who's listening if you have any passing interest in oblivion or you know mechanics or in-depth discussions of games and gameplay and how multiple factors can come together to decide how a game is going to be remembered and and viewed and how some of them, maybe even lots of them, have nothing to do with the game or the game design itself. It's fascinating. He dug up all kinds of articles and podcasts and um, documentary-type footage um, about this and supported some of some of those claims with, like, you know... I, I won't say... He, he didn't, like, claim, like, this is definitely how it was, but he's like, this is how I you know, interpret all of this evidence. Let me present this to you. Such a good video. And he kind of comes down on the side of liking Oblivion, but that it, for a lot of it is sort of like writing the line and it, it is very unoffensive. It was interesting. 12 hours worth, worth a watch over the course of like a week or two. Anyways, those, that that's the games that I played and I guess a really long video that I watched. Yeah, I guess we won't have to do a game club on Oblivion. It just yeah, link to the video. There you go, right? There you a- go. Anything that could ever be said about this game. Yeah, if I mean, if you ever wanted to do a game club on Oblivion, I would be down to play it in a heartbeat again for a game club. But I mean, we've we've because of Skyrim, and then you know, just about every time it gets brought up, we have a. A, a version of the discussion of Skyrim versus Oblivion versus mm-hmm. Morrowind. Just about every time it comes up. So I don't know how much we would have to say on a potential game club for Oblivion. Well, I mean, at this I'm, point. I'm just looking ahead and not counting November because that's already uh, drawn. Our next long month of a, well, a five week month would be uh, March of 2022. 20, uh, Interesting, huh? Yeah. Or we'll just... Yeah, well, let's put it this way. March, April's a short month, and then May turns into another long month. wonder if there's... You, I, I, I'm not wanting to commit on it just yet. I, I'm just kind of looking ahead, you know? <laughs> Hang on. Are you saying that you're thinking about doing Oblivion for a game club? Yes, thinking about it. Wow. Interesting. What? Okay. What has prompted you? Is it just me talking about just this talking video? About it, yeah. Yeah. And, and nostalgia, right? Yeah. Although boy, I'm not sure boy, if howdy. going back to Morrowind is a good idea at this point. I tried to play Morrowind last Christmas. It's rough. It's really rough. That game, and you know, there are tons of mods that could probably fix it and do some stuff with it. Uh, but it's it's hard to go back and play that game. It's really showing its age. It has not aged well from mm-hmm. a gameplay 
in a graphical perspective and a technical perspective, it doesn't run great on Windows 10. It doesn't run great on modern resolutions or modern hardware. It's hard to play. Yeah, but hey, that engine, well, they kept it for, you know, a few decades. Yep. Still going strong somewhere. But anyways, you ready to uh, head on over to Community Corner and talk about our new topics well, that were presented I, there? I kind of need a break because I've drank a lot of water. So, Sure. So, we hey, shall. it's been a while since we've been in the elevator, so. Indeed. But, but you have to take the stairs because I don't trust you right now. <laughs> That's fine. So, be right back. We get back into it. Uh, yeah. I'm probably Sweet. not sure if I want to know why Fauci's climbing tr- uh, Twitter trending. Oh, well, at least without getting into our rant, right? <laughs> I didn't know he was. Uh, so, I, I have TweetDeck open and uh, saw Fauci at 17 on trending in the U.S. Uh, I'm sure Fox News is going to misreport whatever it is because, you know, fantasy land. Oh, yeah. A, fan- a fantasy land where liberals are constantly oppressing, all right? Because they're the oppressors. Yep. All right. Um. Back back at it. We're back Woo. from an elevator bathroom break where I took the stairs. I don't have any stair music. Um. So let's let's move on over to Community Corner, which is in possession of our our two news topics for this yeah, week. Yeah, well, it's kind of slim pickings on uh, news in general, unless you want to talk about random updates to various free to play games, or uh, honestly, some more niche topics that I don't think either of us really were very qualified to talk about. So, yeah. So, um, our first topic um, presented to us, a combination of a a couple of of links we've put together, um, but Tripwire CEO puts foot in mouth, gets fired. So, let's let's do a bit of context, a bit of backstory. Um, And and welcome to the shit show. Yeah, perhaps someone listening has been able to remain blissfully unaware of, of the... Oh, sweet summer child. Yes, either maybe you're fortunate to live in a good country uh, and not a terrible country like America. Um, Texas um, has banned abortions at six weeks or more. Um, I'm I'm sure. Uh, Yeah, that's typically before a woman would know she's pregnant. Yeah, usually women don't know they're pregnant until around four weeks. Um, But yeah. And it's also, yeah, gets into the rush territory. Oh, and uh, to make it even better, no provisions for rape or incest as well. So, hey, get raped. <laughs> right. Yep. Oh, but don't what worry. If it's, uh, what if it's an incestuous rape? Oh, then, yo, know, uh, that, that's a double negative. So it's uh, perfectly fine. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Uh, but don't worry. Uh, Greg Abbott is already... Uh, you know, I said that he's going to assure that rapists are off the streets in Texas, which implies that you know, he's had this ability before and just uh, you know, failed to do so. So, right? Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, but anyways, so Texas banned abortions at, more, you know, farther out than six weeks. Um, 
And not only that, they did some other things, like create a bounty system where any citizen can report uh, a person who has been suspected of getting an abortion and anyone who helped them get the abortion. So all the way from an Uber driver to the doctor who performs the procedure. Um, and that gets into its own mess about how certain companies like uh, Uber and Lyft and a few others are like, nah, dog, fuck that for reasons. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm glad to see some companies be like, fuck you, Texas. But also, I don't know why companies do anything like that's beneficial. Like, I, I'm like, other than good PR, I'm not sure what the benefit is. And maybe that's all they need. The The winds have definitely changed in popular culture. Well, well I, the, I talked in the kind of the pre-show bullshitting areas that Texas has a lot of people. So, uh, and for a rideshare company, right? Yeah. The, uh, the religious right is a minority in the United States. It doesn't feel that way. Because they still manage to control enough politics to gerrymander and lie, cheat, and steal their way to be in power. But they are a minority that is decreasing over time. So, fingers crossed, they'll all be dead soon. (laughs) Well, if COVID has anything to say about it. COVID is certainly making a positive impact in that regard. You ever get the feeling that COVID was just the Earth saying, okay, the rumors have to go. A part of me hopes that God is actually real and that this is him uh, passing divine judgment and retribution on all of the the people who do bad things in his or her name. Or who knows, this could be the rapture. And, you know, they never said that the rapture was going to be, you know, con to the uh, people getting saved, right? They could Very be. Uh, they could be spending a few months uh, coughing their lungs out. That's that's the soul leaving the body. <laughs> you got to cough it all up. Anyways, let's. It, 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 it That's a whole other set of things. If you've not followed it very closely, it's very bad um, and poorly worded and uh, dangerous. Yeah, in more than one way. So, you know, take take everything that we've said. Yeah, and there's been some like, absolutely amazing political cartoons. You guys, right? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Probably my favorite one is the coat hanger in the shape of Texas. Oh, yes. That is also a good... That's a good one. Um, anyways, so all of this, you know, take all of that. We're barely scratching the surface on, on the issues raised up with here. Many prominent YouTubers have, have provided excellent discussions of it. There's a lot of news articles that go in depth. I'm sure there's going to be some things like from Legal Eagle and, and some other like law-focused folks to explain it much better than, than we could, much more succinctly. But just, you know, to short short it all down, it's very uh, misogynistic and controlling and bad. Oh, but don't um, worry. They had a token uh, woman on there to say it's all right. So it's okay, right? Right. Right. But, um, so that's, that's where we're starting at with, with this, uh, story. So John Gibson, the CEO or former CEO <laughs> of Tripwire Interactive, um, the studio behind Maneater, which was the, the fun shark game. I never got that uh, to work right. Uh, that was my Forza Motorsport. Yeah. 
the Forza 7. Your yeah. Forza 7. Yeah. Um, <coughs> excuse me. But anyways, the studio behind Maneater and Killing Floor um, has stepped down or resigned as CEO uh, following him making a, uh, what we call a big fucking boo-boo uh, <laughs> by coming out in support, like open support um, of the Texas abortion ban. Um, you know, let's see, where is it here? Uh, he tweeted on September 5th, so this is recent, a couple of days ago, proud of the U.S. Supreme Court aff- affirming the Texas law banning abortion for babies with a heartbeat. As an entertainer, I don't get political often, yet with so many vocal peers on the other side of the issue, I felt it was important to go on the record as a pro-life game developer. Oh, boy, um, right. Yes, so, in essence, uh, he came out and said that he was a horrible, shitty person publicly, and rightfully was shouted down in the public space. Um, and not only that, I think that if he had just been shouted down in the public space, nobody would would give a shit. He doubled well, down. He he wouldn't have given a shit, but he did double down on it. And following that, um, let's see, where is it here in the article? Tripwire's major, one of Tripwire's major developmental partners, Shipwright Studios, said, we cannot in good conscience continue to work with Tripwire under their current leadership structure. We will begin the cancellation of our existing contracts effective immediately. So, yeah, that I'm, is what got him his consequences. Yeah, because the shareholders, right? <laughs> yep. Which, on the one hand, glad that he got some kind of consequence. I'm sure he'll get a golden parachute yeah, or whatever. That, yeah, that's the thing, is that Oh, oh no, he's going to get his golden parachute early. Whenever I see a CEO fired like this, or step, or sorry, stepping down, not firing, because, right? Yeah. Uh, there is that moment of, yeah, uh, fuck you, but then it's like, oh, right, their golden parachute's probably going to be more than I ever make, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sure his golden parachute is going to be millions of dollars, but still, fuck that guy. And he's also going to, you want to bet that he also uses this as a martyr complex of, oh, see how uh, they censored me and uh, canceled me and, you know, cost me my job. Never mind the fact that, you know, uh, it was him, you know, getting, uh, getting political and, right? Yeah. Don't even get me started on fucking cancel culture. Like, cancel culture has existed. Okay, here we go. I'm getting started. Cancel culture has existed for decades. Technically centuries it just looked differently in the in the ye olden times but cancel culture has and they by also and large didn't have social media to bitch about on it yes but cancel culture by and large has been a tool or a more aptly a weapon wielded by those in power against those who speak out against them but the changes in the social sort of hierarchy and the ways that people are able to express themselves has means that in the last, I, I don't know, 20, 30 years maybe at a push, it's worked in certain circumstances the other way. And suddenly it's this horrible boogeyman tool of discrimination and shutting people down and, uh, you know, whatever. And it's like, Fuck you, you've done it for centuries. What what do you mean? But, if, I mean, you know, I know. That's what they do. They, um, you know, martyr complex, 
Gaslight, they're the victims. Project. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I know exactly what they're doing, but it makes me mad whenever I see it. Because you so, understand it a little bit better. Yes, yes I do. But cancel culture bullshit. <laughs> Fuckers. Anyways. <laughs> I hope Remember, he gets hit by a you bus. asked for this, by the way. <laughs> I hope he gets hit by a bus. I mean, I'm on one tonight. I am, I'm on a tear. Well, at least you haven't gone full uh, Herman Cain yet. <laughs> no, not yet, but it might be coming. We'll see. But yeah, um, when, when the shareholders and like when actual money was on the line, he stepped down and I'm sure he'll, he, he's got his golden parachute and we'll find out in a few weeks how much it was and, you know, there will be the same sort of social outcry that there always is, and he'll retreat from the spotlight for a little while and then come back on some other studio, on some other team, and we'll see what happens there. But at least for now, he did get shouted down, and he he limped away in defeat. And this is the other thing, is that uh, they made the... Or, sorry, he made the comment that well my pro uh, my uh pro-choicer uh fr- uh yeah colleagues are allowed to do this but i'm not essentially well there's a difference between expanding rights and taking them away right yeah yep there's also a difference in having a good faith conversation and having a bad faith conversation and whenever i see people throw up that defense it's always after they've tried to have a bad at, at, at best they've tried to have a bad faith conversation and it's like well of course we don't want we don't let you have those views because you're making them making those statements having those opinions in bad faith and wielding them maliciously sort of like some of these motherfuckers that run around with the rebel flag uh, to, just to trigger right yep it's, like, it's part of my heritage no it isn't you're just a hateful, narrow-minded, pea-brained nincompoop. Who probably Indeed. can't even spell that word. <laughs> Technically, I mean, they might be right that it's part of their heritage, but that doesn't make it any better. That doesn't change the fact that it's racist and hateful and oppressive. Well, I'm of German heritage. Does that mean I should be going to invade Poland? I mean... Maybe. I, I mean, I'm I'm well aware that most people of uh, Caucasian or European descent have a heritage of aiding Poland. That doesn't make it right, though. But it does make it right. Oh, See what I did there? Yeah. So, do we have anything else I want to talk about on this topic? topic? We've gotten so far off the rails. I mean, really? I have enjoyed it. Really? We I have enjoyed rails it. Because, yeah, we never go off the rails, right? Never. We were barely on the rails for this one. But yeah. Um, it, it's just... The entire situation's uh, just crazy. And the fact that... Oh, they also passed that voter restriction uh, law as well. Because of course they did. Yep. Uh, I, I'm actually fearful of what's going to happen in the next few years. Between this... Uh, between abortion rights, women's rights... And also voter uh, restriction. Especially since I live in a red state. Yep. 
I, I too am fearful for what's going to happen over the next few years. Anyways, with that uh, dark feeling and sentiment mm-hmm. uh, firmly on the dashboard, let's um, let's let's talk about the future by talking about the other article thingy that we got. Um, how gaming will change humanity as we know it. Yeah, and this feels more up your alley, so take it away. Yeah, this is so. This is an article. Um, it, honestly, it's it's kind of short. It, it feels long because of the way that it's written, but it's it's relatively short compared to other sort of think and speculation pieces that I've seen. In essence, to me, reading this, uh, it feels like someone's making a quota. You know, X number of articles per day, slow uh, day. So uh, they, especially at a certain length. Yeah, it definitely feels like they're being paid by the word because they go on for a few paragraphs without really saying anything before they got to uh, start to even dance around their point. Yeah, but you know they they wax poetic for a few paragraphs about the future and how gaming will have some some kind of impact on it. Um, and definitely. That's a thing. There were enough threads here to pull on to have a little bit of a conversation. So that's that's what we're going to do. Um, I mean, you can go read the article. Obviously, it's going to be in the show notes if you want to read it. But in, in essence, in a nutshell, what they were saying is that gaming has sort of upended the entertainment market because of how much money it brings in. Um, $179 billion uh, for 2020. Um, in, that is in, in revenue. Um for gaming, which was more than film and more than um, TV, more than you know, bunch bunch of other entertainment um, markets, and so it's it's upending things, and it's going to continue to upend things moving forward. Um, it it makes an argument that feels very much like Ready Player One, talking about a metaverse of games, where that everything kind of gets eventually encapsulated or, or overshadowed by games or gaming. And that becomes sort of a central touch point where people communicate with one another and, and interact with one another. Um, maybe, probably, in some ways. But two things. This article, I think, is ignoring uh, either, you know, willfully or, you know, maybe just by accident. But ignoring some other factors that really play into this, like uh, the Internet being the biggest, most obvious one, but also changing economic states for most people um gaming certainly can have a big upfront cost but as far as hobbies go for the amount of entertainment and enjoyment that you can get out of gaming on a per dollar basis gaming is one of the most economical hobbies that you can have and by and large people are having less and less money overall to spend on luxuries or you know entertainment um as world uh, economic situations change, um, generally being worse for longer for young people. So those two factors combined with sort of a prevalence of uh, social media and an already growing trend towards uh, online connectedness has sort of set the stage for gaming to be this sort of nexus point or metaverse or whatever you want to call it that draws people in and serves as both a gathering point and a jumping off point for communities. Uh, while it's a bad example, because I think that they have done a really bad job handling it every time it's come up, uh, Fortnite 
having events in the game that aren't related to the game itself. Um, the Martin Luther King one that was, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, reset, about that which one. was a disaster. Well, well, it turns um, out having a, uh, uh, the ability to have yeah white robes and carry on a whip and crack it in the MLK uh, memorial. Bad idea. Yeah. They, but they've also done a couple of concerts. They've done an education focused thing other than, than like the, the MLK one that they did. There was another education focused one that they did that my sleepy brain is kind of drawing a blank on here for a moment. But, you know, there there's that. Um, thinking about MMOs and communities that pop up around MMOs. Um, how a game like Eve Online has in some ways shaped some real world economies due to energy being spent on it. And the fact that it is a game that has a real world dollar conversion to its in-game economy, you know, these, these small, relatively speaking, these small points that continue to grow larger over time, certainly gaming has the possibility to, in a sense, bring us all together into one worldwide forum of discussion. Um, and I'm, I'm being kind of grandiose in my speech there, too. But so so was the article. I think that's a possibility. But also, I think that we have no way to know what's going to happen in the future. Like, that's that's obvious, I you know, but sometimes people want to speculate wildly about what's going to happen. Um, there's there's a podcast I listen to. Um, they also have a YouTube channel. It's called Science and Futurism with Isaac Arthur. And he talks about lots of, you know, science-y things, obviously, um, and how these technologies that we're developing might be used in the future. Um, and he makes it very clear, though, that he's not speculating on the future, like predicting on the future, because we have no idea how certain technologies could radically alter the landscape. He calls those black swan technologies that when you look back at them, it's, you know, in hindsight, it's obvious that they were going to upend everything. But in the beginning, you know, we had no way to know what, what they were going to be. Were they going to be, you know, uh, like a, a really ugly, you know, ugly duckling or a beautiful black swan. And that's why he calls them black swan technologies. And social media is one of those things that when it first, like in hindsight, obviously, people were going to go crazy for social media and it was going to completely up in the way that we interact with, it, with one another. But 20 years ago, no one could fathom how social media could be anything more than a fad because of how impersonal it was or how, you know, how could you form connections with people that well, you've never met? How MySpace wasn't exactly great about it. I mean, looking right. back, right? Facebook yeah. kind of took, uh, stole uh, fa- uh, MySpace's lunch by just Tweaking some things. First of all, no MIDI files ever. Right? Indeed. Loading up a web page and a shitty song start playing. Oh. I hated that. Yeah, but anyways, don't miss that one. But but anyways, you know, game gaming kind of falls into that category, I think, as a black swan technology. Because it was something that when it was first released, oh, it's just a children's toy, it's a fad. Who knows if it'll last or not? It probably won't. It did, in some capacity, nearly die. Gaming yeah. itself didn't nearly die. Gaming was too popular in the PC space to ever truly go away. But it it almost didn't become as mainstream as fast as it did. But in hindsight, it's like, well, of course, you know, this affordable way 
to have fun that is overall speaking like less risky, less harmful, you know, less many things, you know, of course people are going to gravitate towards it over time and it's going to become this ginormous industry and machine for cultural change. But I don't think that there's any way to truly accurately predict the way that the landscape is going to be shaped by gaming any more than we could have predicted a, a stupid, shitty, bad game like Fortnite would become a cultural touchpoint for a generation. Well, it also doesn't uh, help that we're old out of touch. Right? <laughs> that doesn't help either. You're right. That doesn't help either. But, um, you know. Gaming will change things. Gaming will continue to bring people, I think, overall closer together than it drives them further apart. The The new stories that get headlines are the ones where there's something shitty happening, for sure. But there are, I think, I hope, maybe this is me just being more hopeful than anything, but I hope that for every bad news story about somebody being shitty or something bad happening in a game or because of a game or related to a game, that there are a hundred good things that happen. Little communities that pop up. Friendships made. Relationships built. I mean, don't forget dreams. that bad news sells. Yeah, absolutely. So, hearing about, you know, some uh, South Korean kid dying because they spent, you know, 73 hours playing StarCraft, right? Yeah. That sucks. But... You know, in, in my own life, all of my best friends in the whole world, I have met playing video games. Or at least in communities and spaces related to video games. You know, you, everybody on our Discord channel that, that I talk to, a couple other Discords that I'm a part of, like all of those people I have met via video games. I don't, I don't have Ken. Ken is the only, like, friend that I have that I met in a way that wasn't related to video games and that's because we were co-workers he was he's my therapist friend that I've talked about before um he's the only person in my life like that's a friend that I met and and built a relationship with that wasn't based around gaming you know and in my life I have had dozens or hundreds of success stories like that in my own personal life so I, I like to hope that for every bad news story about somebody, you know, playing games until they die, that there are a hundred unknown stories about people making new friends or getting help that they need to deal with some crisis that, or just, yeah, some, a little bit of escape because they live in Texas and and it's a shitty hellscape. Yeah. So absolutely gaming will play a part in reshaping the future. But I think that for the most part, it's going to be in ways that we don't expect. Because all of the ways that we can kind of predict that it will continue to change have already been things that has been changing. And I think that the stuff where it's really going to continue to like reshape and realter the landscape is going to be in ways that we, we can't predict. You know, some technology, some emergent technology, or maybe even a, a way that no one thought of to use a, an existing technology that changes everything. You know, I think VR is the one that people think of the most as being like a technology that could do that. But who knows what is out there in, you know, some prototyping phase right now that we don't know about or is in some kid's imagination that one day he's going to 
um, grow up and, and build this miraculous device that changes everything that's based on video games. Like, you know, like, who knows? We'll, and, and when we look back in 50 years, we'll be like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Of course, the, you know, schmoogly boogly 5000 was going to change everything. Mm-hmm. Patent pending. By the way, on the Schmoogly Boogly 5000. Oh, damn. Episode title. Schmoogly Boogly 5000. <laughs> Schmoogly Boogly 5000. There we go. Oh, this is going to be an interesting one to find a gift for. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's my... Uh, Might just be my, something random. Yep. That's my hot take, though, on this um, you know, speculative article about the future of, of gaming as we know it. Do you have any thoughts? Uh, not really. Feelings, I mean, it smart remarks. I covered it all. Huh? At yeah. least my opinion. Thanks. I try. Well, as so, we discussed well, earlier, I'm the smart one and you're the sexy one. Boy, that that's a low bar. And also, <laughs> damn. <laughs> you what do you mean, damn? You're the one who called it first. Well, first of all, low bar, and also, I'm the good-looking one? Ugh. Yeah, I mean, I'm fat, I'm hairy. I'll see. It's uh, it's all I, over I'm the place. I'm fat, but not as hairy. So. I really need to trim my beard and my mustache. They're, they're all over the place right now. Oh, you've gone full crazy prospector again. Yep. Need to trim it, but not today, Satan. See, you need to have a prospector voice for whenever your beard gets out of control. Oh, hello there. I don't, I don't know if I can do a prospector. I'd have to work on it. I'll have to practice my prospector voice. Yeah, it needs to be more raspy, first of all. <laughs> I'm an old man who's a prospector. Welcome out. Hey, nope, it's just falling apart. I'm losing it. I don't even know I, if it was good to start I, with. I'm not even sure if you ever had it. Yeah. Oh, because okay. yeah. So, um, yeah, that's that's it for community corner. How how can the the good well, good people if you get in contact contact with us? us? You could do so at vglpodcast at gmail dot com. Tweet us vglpodcast on said Twitter. Even though nobody's really tweeted us in a while, it's been a while, hasn't it? Or Spit drop by Discord, vtrlpodcast.podbean.com. Indeed. So you talked about doing a shorter episode earlier. Yeah, but... Do you we can want to knock, call it? We can always knock out a Discovery queue, though, right? All right. Works for me. Let's doobly-doo on over to a Discovery queue. Mostly because I, I got you've... Pathfinder, because... Right? Oh, was, yeah, the new Pathfinder. Yeah, as soon as I find it on here. There we go. Oh, and not mangle the URL. So, Pathfinder, Wrath of the Righteous. Pathfinder is one of these series I keep hearing about, but I never really got to play. I mean, CRPG, uh, I believe, uh, with some uh, more, like, tactical combat. It's one I keep meaning to play, but just never really had a chance to dive into. Although, there are some rather scathing reviews uh, towards the top of the review section. But it could be, yeah, yeah, just... Well, uh, launch blues because honestly, it really fe- feels like if you're uh, going into a game or uh, on the first week, if you're not getting it like through Game Pass or something, 
it does feel like a sucker spec these days. Yeah, agreed. Uh oh. <laughs> Pat Pathfinder. I mean, you pretty much just described the tabletop Pathfinder as well. So, Pat. I mean, Pathfinder for anyone who doesn't know is a, a spinoff of D and D, based on D and D three point five. Um, to a refine, bit more streamlined, right? Yeah, yeah. For the time, it was more streamlined um, in certain areas and really focused on refining the combat mechanics. So, but I mean, it's it's become very popular in its own right now and has continued its own sort of line of development. Um, so, yeah, um, I got Cookie Clicker, which I had heard that Cookie Clicker was coming to Steam. Uh, Cookie Clicker is like a bajillion years old. Um, you can play it for free right now. So I wonder like what the draw is to buy it on Steam. Um, I don't see, yeah, I don't see anything. Mods maybe? This is coming soon. Create, discover, and download mods at Steam Workshop. I wonder what the hell mods could be for Cookie Clicker. I don't, I don't know. Uh, it feels weird. Butter, like Cookie Clicker... Uh- Peanut butter, um, oatmeal raisin. Right. Yeah, for anyone uh, who's never played uh, Cookie Clicker. British biscuits. <laughs> yeah. For anyone who's never played Cookie Clicker before, I'm not going to spoil it. There is something there, and you need to experience it for yourself. So if you're, if you don't feel like paying five bucks for it on Steam, you can still go play it online for free. Um,. I don't, yeah, I don't know what they're using to justify the five dollars, except for just like, you know, it's Cookie Clicker. Love, love it. Give it some money. Although I'm sure you appreciate the uh, top com or top review. Uh, what's the top review? Oh, just cookies. <laughs> nice. Uh, so I got American Truck Simulator, Wyoming, the Equality DLC. Because it's the quality state. I see. I mean, is there really anything to say about American Truck Simulator outside? Hey, it's Wyoming. It's a it adds more to the map. It actually looks uh, rather impressive looking, considering right. Uh, starting yeah. to get into more mountainous areas, which was kind of a downfall of uh, American uh, American Truck Simulator. Yeah, the map felt very samey because they started on the West Coast. Right? Yeah, which is honestly kind of a shame because there's a lot of varied terrain out on the West Coast. Yeah, but there's not... Yeah, but because of the compression, you, know, yeah. you didn't get a ton of it. You would get a bit of desert uh, in, the, in Southern California. And yeah, there wasn't a lot of map yet, but this is now I'm having to go double check. This is the well, they've actually expanded quite a bit further east. Uh, the next one's going to be Texas. Oh boy, right? Oh boy, I can't. I want them to get out to the east coast. I want Tennessee, Georgia, Kentucky. Now, the question Florida. is, how are they going to handle it if you uh, don't have all the connecting DLCs, right? Yeah, good point. They might, at some point, roll oh. some of those DLCs into the base game. Didn't they do that with Euro Truck? 
uh, some of the DLC in no, the base uh, game. No, they have it where if you ha- don't have connected DLCs, there's ways around it like fairies and uh, such. Mm, that wouldn't really work to go across the continental mm-hmm. United States. Yeah, although it does look like Arizona is a free DLC. I'm not sure if that was a paid DLC at some point, though. Uh, and the states do get extremely cheap. So New Mexico's uh, three bucks fifty, Oregon's three bucks fifty, Washington's six bucks. So pretty much, uh, that leading uh, edge is ten bucks, and then it quickly drops down to five and under per state. Which does yeah. get expensive if they do manage to do all fifty states, assuming they don't start combining them whenever they get to the like the uh, you know, New England, right? Yeah. I wonder how, like, Alaska and Hawaii would work, since they're not part of the contiguous U.S. Honestly, I I don't really see them doing Hawaii. I mean, yes, I know there's obviously going to be trucking there, but not a ton. And it's all, you know, kind of self-contained. And because of how they do the map compression, it's going to be like that one scout truck, vroom, and you're done. (laughs) Right. And Alaska, honestly, it feels like it should be its own game. Because... True, Alaska's like half the size of the the rest of the United States. Not quite that big. Alaska's huge. Not quite that big, but the thing is that there's a lot of wilderness. And uh, it really warrants its own, you know, like ice road trucking and that sort of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean... Texas next, uh, they do have color. They're as far east as Colorado, which is still yeah, pretty impressive. Yeah. Now, once they get to like the breadbasket, yeah, it's gonna be like the corn DLC. <laughs> Indeed. Although, thankfully, yo, know, they do compress it, so yo, know, it's only three hours of corn instead of ten. But yeah, I mean. <sighs> America Truck Simulator and Euro Truck Simulator, it's one of the, those are two games that sound like absolute jokes to play, but they are actually really engrossing, especially if it's a place that you haven't been. Like for us, yeah. Euro Truck kind of was the better of the two, even though uh, mechanically American Truck uh, yeah, has a lot more going on because it's the newer. Yeah. But it's just that, right? I've played both of them pretty extensively, mm-hmm. so it's it's, it's been hard a while for me since to I say. Played. I, it's been 2018 was the last yeah, time I played yeah, I either should, of them. I should grab the DLCs at some point and catch up and you know piddle around with trucks, but I'm too busy piddling around with trucks. <laughs> right. Um. So I got uh, Stellar Warfare. Um. Why is that it's familiar? The, they call it a classic style RTS with base building, full 3D movement, resource collection, and millions of ship configurations to compose. So it's it's an early access game. It doesn't look like it has like a single player campaign at this point. Oh boy! But right. but it's something that they are moving towards that uses a. Hey, like but a, they have battle royale, so there is that. Right, but it uses a huge ship customization sort of engine where you can design your own ships and i love stuff like that they have to walk a fine line though between it being like you know two in the woods because as fun as it is if it takes me like three hours to design a ship it's like okay 
but I also want to use them to, to pew pew on the other ships. I'm gonna keep an eye on this. It released in early access uh, about a month ago, so I'll I'll keep an eye on it and see. I get sort of like some uh, Homeworld vibes from it. Like it's been pretty like heavily inspired by Homeworld. Yeah, this looks like it's a, a, a warning uh, one for man. Okay. A Total War Saga Troy. There are some scathing reviews on this about a lot of paywall de- uh, stuff in the game itself. Uh, the game just being the AI being dumb, which is not exactly new for the Total War Saga or Total War series. You know, Total War Saga is kind of their brand series that's more story focused and more yeah. laser focused on a particular era. Uh, they didn't want to commit to historical accuracy, but then, you know, tried to do historical accurate anyway. It's oof, right? Yeah. Maybe they could eventually clean it up, but yeah, this is a total war game and they've really gone downhill, it seems. Which is a shame, really. So I got another space game. Uh, Xenia's Ark is a 4X um, strategy game. Looks like the gist of it is that um, you are the sovereign leader of your peoples sending an arc through like a wormhole or something into a new galaxy or new universe or new reality. Um, and it's, it's your job to take it over. And it's trying to do the thing where that you have, um, you know, multiple layers. So dropping down onto a planet and, and it looks like they're trying to do more sort of like a sieve sort of thing on, on the planet left, planet scale with tiles where that you can build out from those as opposed to something where that it's just like, ah, construct at sort of an abstract base on this planet. Um, looks like you can actually go in and like down to the planet level and spin around it and put stuff down, build cities and whatever. And then it's got like a second layer from like a solar system layer and then like a galaxy layer. So could be could be good if it's done well. The problem is is that usually any any 4X game that I can think of that has tried to do all three levels in depth, sort of the planet development, the solar system sort of tactical aspect, and then the galaxy-wide management struggles real hard and usually falls apart on at least one of them and it kind of ruins the experience to where that if they had been focused a bit more it would be better. So we will see. Um, it looks like it, it checks all the boxes. Ship customization, mechs, um, you know, planet, star system, and, and galaxy stuff, diplomacy, trade, espionage, like, you know, it's, it's checking all your 4X, uh, your science fiction 4X boxes. Looks like it also came out in, uh, is this in early access or is this released? Looks like this is a, a released game, not an early access game, so. Well, that's a refreshing change of pace. Yeah, we will see. Uh, um, so, we'll see. I got one, uh, another kind of warning. Surviving Mars Below and Beyond. Holy shit, uh, mostly negative. <laughs> right? This okay. released uh, today. Uh, it only has 30 reviews, but people are pissed. And it seems like there's a 
massive disconnect between this DLC and all the other content of the game. So it's like self-contained and cuts off everything else. The idea of this DLC is that you're playing in caves and lava uh, tubes in Mars. Yeah, kind of more realistic on what a Mars colony would be instead of the pseudo sci-fi that they have going on with you know, massive uh, domes. Uh, but yeah. uh, uh, then you have rockets that go up and do space mining as well. And it's, uh, there's people that's very upset about this and <laughs> a lot of uh, bitching about um, bugs and it breaking the game and the free uh, update also breaking the game and oof. Yeah, I've seen a number of things posted about this, although I, I discovered them through the Battletech subreddit, because Paradox owns, yeah. um, or is one of the two studios that has got uh, rights to, to make games in the Battletech universe. Mm-hmm. And so I've seen some people, you know, doing the whole thing of, like, uh, making memes about them coming for Battletech. And it's kind of split the community, because half the people in the community are like, oh, this is great! More content, and other people are like, no, please don't. Please, for the love of God, don't. So. I mean, I didn't mind surviving Mars. It didn't, it wasn't amazing to me, but it wasn't terrible either. Yeah. It it just felt like, well, it didn't feel like I was trying to survive Mars. It felt too sci-fi for that, actually, you know? Yeah. But it, I I know this is going to be petty as fuck. But I think it's the giant domes. It, you know, it's just surviving Mars. Here, have the, the least uh, <laughs> efficient way to do so possible, right? Yeah. I think if we ever do colonize Mars, there will probably be a few of those domes. Yeah, but, but not lava right tubes away. or covering up craters in some way mm-hmm. would be much more efficient and safe. Yeah. Speaking of uh, science and futurism stuff, as I mentioned with Isaac Arthur, he's got several episodes that talk about colonizing Mars and technologies that might make it possible and how they would be used. So, there you go. Um, I got Bus Simulator 21. Yeah, I just which, had that pop up. Go for it. <laughs> which is looks very much like an American or a Euro Truck Simulator, but for buses. Um, it's got two cities, one American and one European. Um, you can drive your own buses, but you can also build up sort of a, a busing company um, and create routes and hire drivers. And um, so, you know, you can can do the whole thing. Um, looks neat, actually. Um, it's like, what? Oh, it's 35 bucks. Okay. Um, but hey, Not you know, that neat, I'm sure right? it'll be on sale. Yeah. Not that neat. Uh, I've already got um, SnowRunner and American and Euro Truck Simulator to fill the, you know, fucking around with big vehicles thing. But at some point it'll be on sale, and I could see myself buying this for ten or fifteen bucks. So I got Rift Wizard, a uh, which is a Rift Wizard. There's just something weird about those two words together. Uh, a rogue like. And I emphasize roguelike game about going into dungeons and killing stuff as a wizard with a hundred unique unique spells and abilities. Uh, I focus on combat and character building. I mean, 
a true roguelike. That's a nice change of pace these days, huh? I mean, yeah. it doesn't. It's not a lot to look at, but yeah, you know, it's all about that gameplay, right? And I'm just, yep. I'm just looking at this, uh, and they show some of the spells like meteor shower, level seven, range fifty, Norse line of sight. Uh, it looks like it's using a charge-based system, so I'm not sure if you can recharge or if it's you know you're going in with just like a few charges of a spell and that's it. Rain seven meteors down on random tiles in a seven-tile radius uh, each turn. So yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and full-on upgrade system on these spells as well, where it upgrades the number of uh, uh, meteors, the number of uh, turns, uh, meteor sizes, right? Yeah. And that's just one example. There's chain lightning, nightmare auras. So, yeah, I mean, uh, a magic-focused roguelike. That's interesting. And it's not too expensive. Uh, 15 bucks to, uh, normal price. It's full release too, which, right? Yeah. So, I got Vampire the Masquerade Blood Hunt. This feels like the most anti-Vampire the Masquerade <laughs> thing that could be made. It's a battle royale set in... Vampire the Masquerade. Shit, which, I didn't realize I was Vampire the Masquerade. I had that earlier, and yeah. I just saw Blood Hunt and just, meh, that looks like shit, and clicked off of it. Yep. Um, I mean, there are a lot of cool powers in Vampire the Masquerade. And there's, you know, you can use guns and weapons and all kinds of stuff. But the spirit of VTM is the social aspect of the game. I mean, combat exists. There are mechanics for combat in the tabletop and in, you know, the the video game. But so much of that game is focused on interactions. It feels weird, icky, to, to break it down into purely a, um, a, a shooter. And, and on top of that, they make it a free-to-play uh, battle royale game. Like... I imagine this game will be dead soon. Uh, well, what's the player numbers look like right now? Uh, let's see. This released today. Um, today's peak, 13,321. Well, better than what I was expecting, but... Right? Yeah. Don't worry, it's all downhill from here, right? <laughs> yeah. Let's put it this way. It's not even picking up on Steam charts for some reason. So that you know, just could be you know, too new, right? Yeah. So I got Bravely Default 2. I mean, JRPG, multiple endings. I, I mean, is there a lot to say about a Square Enix game these days? I don't think so. Um, I mean, it, I'm done it, yeah. with... Oh, I, sorry. I was just going to say you know, JRPG soon. Right? Yep. The, the back half of my queue was... The front half of your queue. <laughs> I got, I got Pathfinder, American Truck Simulator, Wyoming, uh, a Total War Saga, and Surviving Mars. Yeah, let's just so put it this So that way. was my the rest uh, of my queue. The, the end of my queue is, uh, porn game, uh, NBA, which you know is uh, slowing yourself out for loot boxes. 
a Asian uh, free-to-play MMO, and that's it. So, so yeah, I am done with my queue. Sweet. So, hey, Rage, why don't you uh, hit them with them socials? Oh, I've been Caffeine Rage. You can see me occasionally bitching on Twitter, GameUSCR, or if you're to be my friend on Steam, you can find me there, Caffeine Rage. And you've been... Gaming Psychologist. You can find me on the YouTubes by searching for that. You can find me shitposting on Twitter at <laughs> JMA4707. With the spiciest of memes. With the spiciest of memes. You can also be my friend on Steam or head on over to our Discord and you can be my friend there. Um, also, speaking of Vampire the Masquerade is my last thing. I appear on a Vampire the Masquerade uh, live play stream. Um, that is, uh, over on twitch.tv slash runic arts. I play a fat Southern vampire who is just the worst. Yeah, your I character's am, bad too. And my character's bad too. I am the evil character in that, in our playthrough for sure. Uh, killing people <laughs> willy nilly, eating their organs and, and flesh turning people against their will into ghouls, turning people into vampires without the permission, like without permission, like you're supposed to get to do that. I'm a, I'm a bad dude. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see how I get my comeuppance. I hope I don't get my comeuppance. My, I have a plan to take over the entire fucking town. <laughs> we'll see if it works out, but I'm about to get some abilities that let me, manipulate humans Uh-oh. so things are about to either go uh, really good or really bad for your character there's no in-betweens right indeed we're still relatively early in our playthrough we had i think episode six it was either episode five or episode six that was last week and uh well i guess last week at time of recording because by the time this comes out the next episode will have been on wednesday uh typically at 7 30 p.m eastern time um, there have been a couple of weeks where we've started later, but so far, we haven't missed a week. So that's good. Anyways, that's that's my things. Yeah, so once again, if you wish to contact us, vjobpodcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, game-related topics, you can tweet us, vjobpodcast, or you can drop by the Discord, which you can find a link to that over on our website, vjobpodcast.podbean.com, which also hosts the show notes. If you wish to see some of the random stuff we're talking about, to actually get some context, so right, it would be nice. Indeed. Or you can find links to all our stuff online. Or if you wish to share the love, you can find us on your podcatcher of choice. And our lovely, lovely patrons have made this madness possible. You can find out more at patreon.com slash podcast. Our intro and outro music is on the ground, and our Discovery Cube music is Dibbly Doo, both by Kevin McLeod, and those can be found over at Incomputech.com. Uh, uh, in and as always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice, bye bye now. See ya. Bye bye.